All right, my friends, if you have your Bibles, please, please open them once again this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, one last time here today. Uh, we are moving beyond verses 9 to 11. Uh, and the list of sins and vices that we have considered over the last three weeks. We're now moving on and we're going to consider the issue of sexual sin more broadly within the church. Paul takes time here at the very end of this chapter to talk to us about the church's need for sexual purity. And so let's begin this morning by reading verses 12 to 20. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. I was recently talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he was sadly sharing how within his local church family, there was a situation of sexual immorality. Two people had had an extramarital affair with each other. And in seeking to care for everyone involved in this difficult situation, my pastor friend was talking to one of the people involved, and he asked the question, is there anything else that we should know about? And the man's response broke my heart when I first heard it. The man responded to his pastor by saying, Pastor, there is an entire underground world of sin in this church that you don't know anything about. Sexual immorality, drugs, all kinds of things. My pastor friend did not know how to respond, but as he began to explore the situation, it became very clear that there was indeed an underground world of sexual immorality and other sins that, that many in the church were a part of. Friends sleeping with friends, marriages being broken, people covering and making all kinds of excuses for each other's sins. It was not a good situation. And since then, by God's grace, God has been at work and there has been a lot of repentance but what, be, what became very clear within this church family was that there was an unhealthy separation in their thinking. These Christians had, had separated their spiritual lives from their physical bodies. 
They were living as if what they did with their bodies did not matter. That they could live their spiritual lives as Christians on Sunday mornings. They could even claim a level of spirituality throughout the week while still allowing their bodies to do whatever they wanted. And this wrong way of thinking was endangering their very souls and the health of their local church family. And Redeemer Fellowship, this issue is not isolated to my friend's church. No, in fact, this wrong way of thinking, this tendency in us to, to separate our physical bodies from our spiritual well-being is very common in our day. We, we love to claim a level of spirituality and maturity in Christ. We love to celebrate the grace of God even while we distort the grace of God into an excuse to live however we want to live. That's exactly what we see in the church in Corinth. There was indeed an underground world of sin and sexual immorality. It might not have even been underground. It was blatant in that church, one that would have made my friend's church experience pale in comparison. But it came from the same sort of wrong thinking. And it was doing great harm. And so Paul wants these Corinthians know. Paul wants us to know this morning very clearly that this unhelpful divide between our physical and spiritual lives is not a good thing. Paul wants us to see and to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ affects all of life, not just our spiritual lives, but our physical lives, our bodies as well. Friends, the main idea for our message today is simply this. God's resurrection power means that you can glorify God with your body. God's resurrection power means that you can glorify God with your body. And we have three points. Point number one, wrong thinking about your body. Point number two, right thinking about your body. And point number three, glorifying God with your body. That's where we're headed. Let's begin with point number one, wrong thinking about your body. Friends, there is nothing quite like as a pastor starting your Tuesday morning and starting the, the sermon prep process. You've got your coffee ready, your iPad's fully charged, you've got your Bible open, commentaries near at hand. You begin with prayer. You do the hard work of getting into the text yourself and seeking to understand it. And then you open up commentaries, and the first sentence you read is, this might be the hardest text in the New Testament to interpret accurately. That there are more interpretations than time even allows us to understand. That, that's a little discouraging. One, one, one commentator actually said the majority of scholars describe this paragraph as disjointed, obscure, unfinished, imprecise, extravagant, and even incoherent. Jason, I think I still have COVID. I need you to come preach for me again. <laughs> Friends, this is indeed a very challenging passage. There's questions about why Paul includes this at this point in the letter. There's questions about where the, the quotation marks in verses 12 to 13 should be placed. There's, there's questions about what the actual sin that Paul is talking about really is. But listen, I don't think that we need to get into all of those difficult details today because you don't need to understand every part of this text in order to understand the main point of this text which very clearly is that God's resurrection power means that we can and should glorify God with our bodies. Different scholars might get to that main point in different ways, but they all get to that point in some way. 
that the point of this text is to correct wrong thinking from the Corinthians about their bodies and what God's design for their bodies really was. And we can see how there is wrong thinking here by how Paul highlights it for us. Did you notice the quotation marks in verses 12 to 13? I don't don't think there are many English translations that don't have any quotation marks in these verses. There, There is some question about what the quotation marks should include, but there's very little question about whether they should be there. Why? Well, because it's very clear that Paul is responding to statements, to beliefs, to convictions that the Corinthians had been speaking about. And we know that first because Paul would never say these things. To say, all things are lawful for me in this context would be directly contrary to the argument that Paul is making. Right? It would make no sense for Paul, after saying that, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God up in verse 9, and then giving a list of vices and sins which enslave us, to immediately say, all things are lawful for me. That, that doesn't make any, any sense. We also know that these are not Paul's words because in the original Greek, there are three adversarial conjunctions. Okay, if you are as bad at grammar as I am, let me remind you what a conjunction is. A conjunction is a word that connects two clauses or two parts of a sentence together. And so an adversarial conjunction is a word that connects two clauses and shows how they are opposed to each other. Words like but or yet or however, they, they, they show a contrast. And we have three adversarial conjunctions in this text, verse, in verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 12 with me. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Verse 12 again. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And and actually, here's where I think the ESV translation gets the quotation marks wrong. I think the quotation marks should go all the way to the end of that sentence so that the third and final full quote from the Corinthians should be, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. And and I think the quotation marks should go all the way to the end there because even though you can't see it in the ESV, the next sentence starts with another adversarial conjunction. And so if you have the NIV translation, the next sentence starts with the word, however, Or the NASB translation starts with the word yet. Why? Well, because Paul is arguing against this whole sentence. The Corinthians were saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. They were taking the normalcy of food and even their own digestive systems and they were saying that they were of no consequence. They were saying that our bodies are just pragmatic vessels. They just serve a practical purpose, and and in the end, they're all going to die, and therefore, there is no moral right or wrong way to use our bodies. The the Corinthians were adopting a a Platonism or even a quasi-Gnosticism, both philosophies which demean the importance of our physical bodies. These ideas or these philosophies overemphasized our our spiritual state. They they legitimize using our bodies however we want or not at all because they believe that in the end, all that mattered would be the spiritual state, not their physical bodies, that their bodies were of no significance. But friends, Paul wants to correct them. He wants to adjust them, and he wants to adjust us. 
He wants to correct any wrong theology that we have about our bodies, and he wants to give us a right theology about our bodies. And he does that first by countering these wrong thoughts with just practical truth. All things are lawful for me, but, adversarial conjunction, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but, adversarial conjunction, I will not be enslaved or dominated by anything. So Paul's initial correction is is not even theological in nature. It's just practical. He says, you can claim that all things are lawful for you, but isn't it pretty clear that not all things are helpful? Living a sexually promiscuous life might feel good for a little while, but doesn't it ultimately bring harm? You can claim that all things are lawful for you, but even the most secular person out there is aware of the danger and even the stupidity of being dominated or addicted by by anything, by sex or any other substance. Those things are not seen as good by anyone. They're harmful. And friends, these practical warnings from Paul are true of any sin in our lives, but they are true in a particular way about sexual sin. Notice verse 18. Now Paul says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Wrong thinking about our sexuality is particularly harmful. Why? Well, in part because according to God's design, our sexuality is a fairly central part to who we are. And so to be careless with our sexuality, to distort our sexuality, to use it for whatever we want, is to do harm against the person that God has created us to be. It's not helpful. It's harmful. It's contrary to God's design. Paul even references God's design for our sexuality in verse 16 by by referencing Genesis chapter 1 when God created man and woman. Listen, wrong thinking about our bodies and our sexuality will have a deep effect upon who we are. It, It affects our minds. It affects our spirits. It affects our bodies. It affects our relationships. But by God's design, our sexuality is a a holy and a sacred thing. And we must, according to God's word, steward it well, lest we do harm to ourselves and to those around us. So Paul starts his correction with these practicals, very simple. And he's going to immediately turn theological as well. But before we look at that, we, we need to see how much like the Corinthians we really are. Friends, isn't it true that we have a tendency to think the same way? In this culture, don't we try to divorce our physical actions from any level of morality or good? Even as Christians, don't we convince ourselves that being physically or sexually healthy isn't really that important? Jesus loves me, and so it doesn't matter whether whether I take care of my body or not. Jesus loves me, and Jesus will forgive me, and so I can be loose in my morals and live however I want to live. To to, to over-spiritualize who we are before the Lord can either lead us to living careless and dangerous and ungodly lives with our bodies, or it can also lead us to ignore some of the good pleasure that God has intended for us to enjoy with our bodies. Some of us can demonize all physical pleasure and assume that we are more spiritual, more mature if we do not partake in any physical activity here on earth. And that's not any better. Friends, that's why I think this difficult passage is placed where it is in this letter. Because Paul, as you know, is is concluding the section of his letter that has dealt with 
sexual overindulgences, right? He has spoken about the man sleeping with his stepmom. He has spoken about adultery and homosexuality and other vices. And so clearly the Corinthians had convinced themselves that their bodies were not owned, owned by God, and so they could use them however they wanted to. But that's not all that Paul is trying to speak to. He's also about to transition in chapter 7 to speaking about marriage and how some married couples seem to have such a low view of their bodies that to indulge in sex within their marriage was to them to be less spiritual. That they were depriving one another, likely under the false idea that to not engage in sexual pleasure was a godly thing. So you have, you have people overindulging in ungodly sex and you have People underindulging in godly sex. Both of these things come from wrong thinking about our bodies. Both of these things come from an over-spiritualized perspective that our bodies are unimportant. Folks, wrong thinking about our bodies is a dangerous business. And we as the church must do the hard work of understanding and believing all that God's word says about our bodies, how they are good, how they are useful, how they were intended for pleasure, how they were given to us for our good and for our joy, and how our bodies will always be a part of who we are. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, right thinking about your body. The Corinthians were thinking about their bodies wrongly. They were saying, just indulge your natural appetites and don't get uptight about that whole sexual purity thing before the Lord. That's what they were saying. But Paul, now lovingly and boldly and in a wonderfully redemptive way, corrects them. Look at how direct he is. He takes their own adage and uses it to speak truth. Verse 13, he says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Paul says, no, 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 no. The body is not just a pragmatic vessel through which we indulge every craving and appetite that we might have. No, the body is meant by God. It is intended by God. It is designed by God. It is purposed by God for the Lord, for his glory. He says, he says that your body is a part of who you are right now, and your body will be a part of who you are forever. Your body is not just a craving center, a, a vessel only marked by the weakness of this broken world and by your lack of self-control. No, your body is a vessel for glory. It is a powerful, beautiful, glorious, and glory-giving gift from God himself. That's what your body is. Now, some of you are saying, uh, I'm not so sure about that. Some of you, like me, get up in the morning and look in the mirror and be like, hey, it might be a vessel for something, but it's not for glory. It's not a pretty thing. How can all this be true? Our bodies are so weak and so frail. Our, our bodies grow old. I have more gray hair popping out of my beard every single day, just multiplying, it's just all the time. We grow old. Our bodies get hurt. Last week, I dropped a 95-pound dumbbell on my pinky. I don't know if you can see it, but it's, it's not looking too good right now. now. There are a few things I want you to know. First of all, I was lifting with 95-pound dumbbells. Has nothing to do with my point here, but it's still important. <laughs> Second of all, there's no importance to how I actually got that dumbbell on my pinky finger. 
But third of all, and most of all, it's crazy how much pain can come from such a small part of our bodies. Our bodies grow old, our bodies get hurt, and our bodies get sick. My dad, Tim Shorey, who many of you know, just got diagnosed with cancer this week. I need to take him to the hospital this Thursday to find out more about his treatment. Please be praying for my dad. Please be praying for my family. Our bodies grow old, they get hurt, they get sick. Our bodies die. Recent mass shootings remind us of this. COVID reminded us of this. Car accidents remind us of this. And so, listen, if our bodies are so frail and ultimately we're all just going to return to the dust through death, then then why should we care about what we do with our bodies? Can't we just use them however we want to, kind of like that old car that you don't care anything about? Get into a fender bender with that car. Who cares? Run over that curb. Who, who cares? Spill the coffee in it. Who cares? It's just a clunker. It's just going to the junkyard eventually. So let's drive it hard and get all the miles out of it that we can. As we think about our fragility and our mortality with our bodies, this is, this is what we can often feel about our bodies. But church, we have to ask the question, is that a biblical perspective? Is that how God views your physical body? And the clear answer from his word is that it's not. Now, our bodies were created by God, and they have a dignity and a value to them that we should honor and respect through how we live. Look at what Paul says. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Folks, the logic of what Paul's saying here is so clear. And and he says three primary things and they all lead towards us glorifying God with our bodies in greater ways. He says, first of all, that our bodies are meant for the Lord. Paul And what he says here, Paul yanks our bodies out of the wrong ideologies of this world. He he yanks us out of the, the humanistic materialism which says that we are just a bunch of matter, just a bunch of cells packed together as a temporary place of residence. Paul yanks us out of those ideas and says, no. God created this physical world and God created you as a physical being in his image. And not only did he create us as physical beings in his image, but through the incarnation, the miracle of Christmas, he himself entered into this physical world as a little baby with a little body. He became like us. He took on flesh himself. Why? So that that body might be broken. So that he could physically absorb the wrath of God on our behalf. And friends, guess what? King Jesus, who was raised from the dead, still has that body. Jesus still has a physical body right now, and he will for all eternity, and we too will have our physical bodies with him. The the incarnation of God the Son as a little baby in that manger was the start of a rescue mission, not just for your soul, but for your body and for this physical world. Our bodies are meant for the Lord. They are vessels of glory. But then what what about death, right? We're all going to die. We've all all lost loved ones. Death doesn't seem that glorious. 
But look at what it says. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So not only are our bodies meant for the Lord, but our bodies are going to be raised up with the Lord. The the incarnation, Christmas, was the first step of God's rescue mission for our bodies. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that was a huge advance in that mission. Church, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will also ultimately raise your physical body from the dead as well. He defeated the grave for you, not just for himself, but for all of his people. We will physically reign with Jesus in heaven. We're not just going to be spirits floating about aimlessly. And we're going to have resurrected bodies, real physical bodies. God's not going to let sin forever steal the joy of our physical bodies and this physical world. No, he's going to restore it all to what it was originally intended to be. And so in our text, Paul says, our bodies are meant for the Lord. Paul says, second, our bodies will be raised up even as the body of Jesus was raised up. And then third, therefore, your body, Christian, is a member of Christ. And this is perhaps the most powerful point that he's making in this context. As he talks about the wrong use of our bodies for sexual immorality, he wants us to see the right use of our bodies. Our bodies are members of Christ. Literally, limbs or organs of Christ. We, We are actually his body here on earth. And so listen, as you walk through your neighborhood as you walk through the mall or as you walk down Main Street on campus, what are people seeing when they look at you? They are seeing the physical body of King Jesus on display. That's what Paul says here. We are members of Christ. We are his physical body. Could he have chosen a better looking group of people than us? He sure could have. But he didn't. Why? Because despite our weaknesses, despite how unimpressive we are, as we live our lives in this world aware of our risen Christ and aware of how he is going to raise us up, then our hope, our joy, our purity, our holiness, our godliness, our sanctification will be a beautiful picture of Jesus to the watching world. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're physically representing Jesus to the world around you today. That, that's a crazy an awesome thought, isn't it? What a privilege. What a joy. What an honor to represent him. But also, what an opportunity and sobering responsibility. And that brings us to our third point. Point number three, glorifying God with your body. Friends, for just a moment, I want you to think of some of the worst scandalous sins that you've heard about. Think about that pastor who was unfaithful to his wife by being with another woman from his own church. Think about the groom who slept with a bridesmaid the night before his wedding night. Think about the wife who invited her husband's best friend into her bed while her husband traveled on work. While all sexual sin has a very serious nature to it, there are situations like these that seem particularly sad because something particularly sacred has been defiled and distorted. Things that are meant to be beautiful and wonderful and pure are used for evil. The pastor uses his relationship with a congregant for evil. The wife defiles the sanctity of the marriage bed with a friend. These are things that are supposed to be sacred, but they are defiled. Oh, friends, listen. This sense of defilement 
is what Paul feels so deeply in this text, only so much more so. Look at verse 15. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And then he asks this question, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, he says. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Paul is horrified by this very idea. We are members of King Jesus. We are his body. There is a holy unity and purity in our relationship with Jesus because of the work that he's done through the gospel. But Paul says that when we live sexually immoral lives, we are taking the very body of Christ and throwing it in bed with a prostitute. And that should horrify us. Like it does for Paul. He says, never Never, this should never be. Friends, as we are tempted to look at pornography again, as we are tempted to flirt with that old classmate that we just reconnected to on Facebook, as we dip our toes into an emotional affair with someone who is not our spouse, Paul says that in these things we should see Jesus himself being dragged along behind us into those sins. Commentators talk about how there is a a wrenching of Jesus' body in this text that Paul is speaking of. Sexual sin for the Christian man or woman is like wrenching the very body of Christ apart and pulling his limbs into that sin with us. And that should horrify us. That should make us want to run away. That should make us want to flee, which is exactly what Paul says. Look at verse 18. Paul abruptly interrupts what he's saying and he says, Flee sexual immorality. Run, he says. Bum rush the exit. Get away. Be like Joseph who left his cloak in Potiphar's wife's hands. Be, be so horrified by the idea of dragging Jesus with you into that place of sin that you actually turn and run from that sin. But friends, why do we flee? Well, friends, it's not just because sexual sin is bad like we have already seen. Paul is not just like your old youth pastor or your parent who just wants to scare us away from sexual sin by telling us about all the bad things that might happen. Paul is not interested in only warning us away from sexual immorality. No, he also wants to joyfully envision us for why fleeing sexual immorality is such a good and right and even joy-filled thing to do. Look, Look at what he says. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Back in chapter 3, If you remember, Paul spoke about us being the temple, and he was talking about the whole local church together, calling us to to joyfully honor the temple by living in unity together. But here, he is saying that each of our bodies individually, every one of us as Christian men and women, are also the temple of the living God. I don't think there's a more dignifying or ennobling thing that could be said. What, What a joyful privilege! And then he says this, he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, this is what should compel us 
to glorify God with our bodies and with our purity. More than guilt, more than shame, more than fear about the practical dangers that Paul gives, no, what should ultimately compel us towards purity is our identity with Jesus and with his Holy Spirit through the gospel. Redeemer family, we, we can and should live pure lives because God says that we are worth it. Because God says that we have dignity and nobility that we should walk in. No matter how broken you feel from your past, no matter how many mistakes you have made, no matter how undignified you feel this morning because of your sexual sin, Paul reminds us of a holy dignity that we have before the Lord. And it's amazing. Do you not know that you were bought with a price? Oh, Christian, do you not know that you were bought with a price? And do you know what that price was? It was the very blood of Jesus. God so loved you despite your sexual sin and impurity. He so loved you despite being enslaved to every form of lustful thought and deed. He so loved you that he shed his blood for you to purchase you for himself to make you pure, to make you holy, to make you whole again. And listen, this, this is so important. Paul, Paul's not saying, so glorify God with your body because you should feel bad about how much it costs for God to redeem you from your sins. God, God is not like parents who buy a new car for their son or their daughter so that they can guilt them into driving safely by always reminding them how much we paid for that car. You better not get in an accident. That's not what he's doing here. That's not what Paul's saying. When he says you were bought with a price, he's speaking of the value and the dignity that our bodies have before the Lord. He's speaking of who we are and how much God delights in us. We, we can glorify God with our bodies because God loves us so much that he bought us back to himself. He delights in us. He cherishes us. When, when our bodies were dead in our trespasses and sins and our long history of sexual immorality, God made us alive together with Christ. Remember verse 11, but you were washed and you were sanctified. And you were justified by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, Jesus did not flee from you in your sexual sin. When the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, he did not flee from her as if he could not touch her because she was unclean. No, he spoke lovingly to her. He forgave her. He gave her dignity. And then he said, go and sin no more. My friend, Jesus runs to you in your sexual sin and brokenness as well. He runs to you and he wraps his arms around you and he says, you're beautiful. You are who I created you to be. Your body's not marked by what you've done any longer, but rather by who I am and who I say that you are. You know what it's like? It's like the story of the prodigal son. After the youngest son takes his father's inheritance and squanders it recklessly, it says. Church, has anyone here lived recklessly? Has anyone here made mistakes? Does anyone here have a long history of, of sin and failure? 
It says about the younger son that he devoured his father's inheritance with prostitutes. He squandered his life in sexual sin. And it says that he was ultimately broken by his sin. That he felt shame about what he had done. And it says that he wallowed in a pigsty looking for food to eat. But then it says that when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, even my father's servants have more dignity than I do in this place. Let me go and offer to be my father's servants. And friends, can't you just see it? Can't you picture this young man walking down that dusty road with his clothes in tatters, with mud all over his face, with his head heavily laid down, with his shoulders low, burdened, thinking that all is lost. There is no hope. He's a picture of us. He's a picture of our many mistakes, our many failures. The shame is so heavy upon us and so hard for us even to lift our eyes to look for Jesus. But but Luke 15 says that as he came to his father, while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the, the son said, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. The father loves his son. Despite his sin, he doesn't wait for his son to clean himself up. He doesn't make his him a servant in order to earn his way back to God. He loves his son and he restores his dignity by running to him and in love hugging him and putting his robe and his dignity around him. And so our father has done for us. He has run to us in our sin and he does not wait for us to clean ourselves up. He runs to us and he clothes us in the royal garments of his son's righteousness, and he restores our dignity. Church, God's resurrection power means that you can glorify God with your body. His resurrection power has raised you, has raised you up from the place of sin and shame, and he's given you a new name. And so let's go and glorify him with our bodies. Amen. Let's pray.